Hello and welcome to Serial Culture, a show about discovering the world one voice at a time. Each week, people of different cultural backgrounds and languages will tell their stories here for you. I'm Lori Martinez and I'll be your host. This week, a crisis of cultural identity, part two. What happens when you're torn between two cultures, when you aren't considered one or the other? Do you pick or do you choose a new identity, an in-between of sorts? In the last episode, you heard the voices of Scandinavian women of mixed origin dealing with these issues themselves. For part two, we're back in Paris to see how Parisians, d'origine étrangère, foreign background, deal with these questions. For this episode, I sat down with Danielle Courtenay, a 25-year-old copywriter who has had trouble grappling with her mixed identity as a Korean-American growing up in Singapore and now working in Paris. Our interview turned into a kind of cultural confession of sorts, touching on subjects ranging from life as a third culture kid to the meaning of home and how language can both build and break down cultural barriers. Enjoy. My name is Danielle Courtenay. Uh, I'm 25 years old and uh, I'm Pisces. <laughs> I've been reading a lot of my horoscopes lately, so that <laughs> so feels like relevant like now. Proper identifier. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, and where are you from? Okay, um, hmm. I am Korean American, but I grew up in Singapore. I was born in the UK, lived for a very, very short time in France after that, but I don't remember any of it. Um, then I was in New York for probably two years. It's kind of where I have some of my first memories. And then in 1997, when I was five, we moved to Singapore, and that's where I grew up until I was 18. And then after that, I went to London to do... No, sorry. After that, I went to... I came to France for two years just to kind of putz around and learn French. And then I went to London for three years to do my real degree in linguistics. And now I'm back in Paris. So, yeah. Yeah, it's actually, I'm really, I was very, very embarrassed to be monolingual for so long, considering that I grew up in Singapore where, well, okay, actually, Singapore is a bit complicated, because in Singapore, there are several official languages, and although Mandarin is kind of, I guess, the main one in theory, really, everybody speaks English, government documents are in English, signs are in English, my schooling was in English, unfortunately, I mean, I, I learned Mandarin for six years and was terrible at it, um, and also really just didn't use it, so I never learned Mandarin. And or Korean? I, or Korean. That's so embarrassing. Oh my god, that's so embarrassing. My mom spoke Korean to me very briefly, I remember when I was like, probably from age three, three to five, and I, I used to sing songs in Korean, and I used to understand some Korean, and then she just stopped. I think when we moved to New York, she didn't really have any reason to speak it. My dad never learned Korean either, hmm. um, which is sad. Is um, she Korean-American or a Korean-Korean? She's Korean-Korean, so she was born, raised in Seoul, and then she went to college in Germany, but she spoke English to me my whole life, which is super, super strange. Very little exposure to Korean culture, except via food, um, which I guess is, I guess that's how a lot of people get acquainted with different cultures, but yeah, I mean, ate a lot of kimchi growing up, I can, basically all the Korean words I know are food words, hmm. so pibimbap, pajeon, tteokbokki, uh, uh, bibimnaemyeon, I can't even say it properly, but um, 
Yeah, that's pretty much the extent of my Korean, which is sad. Yeah, it's funny, I didn't really even identify necessarily as Asian the whole time I was growing up. Also, it didn't, it didn't help that in Singapore people kind of peg me as being white. So there's a there's a phrase that people use in Singapore, it's angmo, which basically it just means it's a, it's not a derogatory term. It just means foreigner. And so when people would see me, then they would kind of instantly ask me, "Are you an angmo or do you have an angmo parent?" And I do. <laughs> um, Both of your parents are foreigners yeah. in Singapore. <clears throat> and the funny thing is, actually, my Singaporean identity card they list they list what your race is, and my race is listed as being Caucasian. So it's funny because I basically identified as being not fully American. I mean, I know I knew at a logical level that I'm half Asian, and I always told people I'm half Korean and half American. But I mean, everything that came out of my mouth sounds American. Mm. Everything I talk about is kind of all related to U.S. pop culture and history, and all my cultural knowledge comes from the U.S. Basically, mm. um, but the funny thing is. I noticed this kind of when I graduated. The moment I became an adult, the mo the it was kind of the moment that I started really kind of craving craving Korean culture. I wanted to know more, and I don't know. I I I started getting really sad basically that I wasn't more Korean, mm -hmm. and also maybe sad is the wrong word. It started with me being embarrassed a lot because mm -hmm. I'd go abroad and. I don't know, I think I just, I missed, I miss my mom, I miss my, my family a lot, um, and maybe out of a desire to be closer to my mom, even though she's not around, um, I started really wanting to go find other Koreans and talk to them and tell them I was Korean. <laughs> so, like, I'd go to a Korean grocery store in London, or a Korean restaurant in London, and I don't know why, like, as if the, cash, the cashier cares as if the waiter cares, but they kind of walk over and take my order and be like, oh, hey, <laughs> I'm Korean. I'm actually half Korean. And they'd be like, okay. And sometimes they'd, and I realized that it was a mistake to do that because then they'd start speaking to me in Korean. And then I'd have to be like, oh, actually, but I don't speak Korean. And my mom spoke to me in English and make it, and come up with all these excuses for why I was such a shitty Korean. Um, but yeah, so... I regret very much that I don't speak Korean. I would love to learn it someday, but I don't know when that day will be. Um, I always thought it was just a kind of first-generation immigrant perspective where they're like, I want you to speak like an American, which I've heard from a lot of people. Yeah. Um, my mom didn't care. <laughs> She's not attached to the idea of the U.S. She only went there because she married my dad. Um, Is she, like, a very proud Korean, though? She's not... The concept of national pride, I don't think, enters her mind. Except in really weird moments. Like, one time I bought... I, when I was in high school or something, I got a new phone, and it was an LG phone. <laughs> and she, I came home, and she was like why did you buy a Korean phone? I was like, what do you mean, why? I'm like, I didn't buy, I, I don't know, because it was in my budget and seemed reasonable and it had this cool mirror effect, which I liked. Mm -hmm. And she's like, what? Oh, like, I'm so glad you bought this Korean phone. And it was, <laughs> was kind of touching. I don't know why she was so attached to that. I think maybe she, 
at some point in my adolescence regretted not having like taught me that yeah not having taught me anything about korea so basically any korean thing you do slightly korean thing (laughs) like when you ask for kimchi she's like oh sweetie i know (laughs) well one time I, i i learned how to say i don't know why i became obsessed with certain korean phrases almost almost just for fun i mean i like to sort of pick up lots of foreign phrases like I code switch a lot, as we would say in linguistics, for no apparent reason, as people do. Create, yeah, you know. Just, like, switch over, yeah. Exactly. So code switch, yeah, in terms of, like, in terms of, you know, um, register of language, but also in terms of just languages where, you know, you'll be walking, I'll say goodbye to my colleagues at the end of the day, and I'll be like, ciao, arrivederci. (laughs) But when I talk, or, but so at one point when I was talking to my mom, I learned how to say I love you in in Korean. Saranghyo. Saranghyo. Saranghyo, which, according to her, like, Koreans don't really say to each other in the yeah, same it's like, way. I remember watching this thing on, like, Asians uh, Never Die or something, like, on Facebook. <laughs> they have this, like, thing where they had a bunch of, like, Asian Americans, like, say I love you to their parents. And it was, like, this, like, shocking experience because, like, you don't say I love you. And it was, like, Chinese Americans and, like, Korean Americans and Japanese Americans. How did the parents react? Some of them were like, oh, that's nice. Okay. <laughs> Some of them were like, oh, I love you too. Some of them were like, why are you saying that? <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I don't know what, I mean, if it has a translation, like, it must mean something similar, but I'm really curious to know what that sentence feels like to a, a native Korean speaker, how they actually interpret it, because I don't think it's at all in the same way that when I say, like, I love you to my dad. That, like, in English. Yeah, I, so I don't know, but I, I remember once, so I basically started calling my mom umma instead of mom, which I had just grown up calling her mom, but... Kind of, I would just be like, umma, but do it in the, in the, that kind of, I don't know, it was almost like I was, it was, it was like endearing teasing, loving, loving teasing, and uh, I just sort of make these whining sounds in Korean that you sort of hear, I think, a lot, when you live in a Korean household, it's like, oh. you hear them all the time, it's like, ah, shikuro, which basically means shut up, which I didn't realize for a very, very long time. And she's been saying it She too. says it all the time. There was a point where I realized my mom had just been swearing at me for, and I had no <laughs> idea. So just blissfully going through my childhood, not realizing my mom was like, shut up, Danielle. <laughs> no, but so I learned like, umma and sarangheyo, uh, and, and I would just sort of, Throw it fling in. them at her every <laughs> once in a while and I remember the first time I did it I don't remember what the context was but I but I I was leaving the house or, or something I was I was leaving for something and I went I went umma, saranghyo, and I gave her this sort of cheeky smile and she laughed but then she started crying and I was like oh my god I'm so, I didn't I didn't mean to do that. Why are you crying? And she's like, I don't know. It's stupid. I don't know why I'm crying, but it's just I've never really heard you speak Korean, and it's it's so weird, and I regret that I never spoke to you in Korean. Okay, go, go, go to your party. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> what <laughs> you, have I done? You broke her. <laughs> oh, no. But she was really happy that you did that. Yeah, and it made me realize, like, what a rift language can cause in a, in a relationship, which is really interesting from my my linguistics degree point of view I was like oh I'd love to I'd love to write a thesis about this (laughs) but then from the the daughter point of view I was like wow this is really kind of tragic and I often wonder what my relationship with my mom would have been like had we spoken the same no I shouldn't say spoken the same mother tongue because she does speak my mother tongue 
But if I had spoken her mother tongue, I wonder if we'd be closer. I don't know, we just were not close at all growing up, and I don't know how much of that... Is because of language? Is because of language, and is because of culture, too, because she has said to me a lot when we fight, she'll always say, you don't understand me because I'm Korean. And I used to get so angry when she'd say that, because I'd be like, I just say to my, I just say, that's such a cop-out, like, you're just trying to get out of this argument because you don't want to argue with me, so you just say, I don't understand you because... I'm American, and she identifies me as being American. Mm. And, um, you know, I'm Korean, and we are just fundamentally different. fundamentally different in our way of speaking to each other, and, like, the way you talk to me, I would that would never happen in Korea. That's like so... honorifics and everything? Yeah, it's like, it's disrespectful the way you speak to me, it's very American the way you talk back, but that's my fault, because I wanted you to grow up thinking that you could, you know, be forthright, like an American, because that's an attribute she associates with Americans, the ability mm -hmm. to be frank and speak as equals with your superiors and mm -hmm. not feel, yeah, basically, like, sort of, um... Like in a level of hierarchy with somebody. Exactly, not feel oppressed by this honorific tradition. Um, yeah, so, but I don't know, I, I really regret, I really regret that I don't speak Korean. Hanging out in with Americans, Americans that had grown up in America, that is, not Americans who had grown up in Singapore and basically all, like all the, the, the TCK Americans, um, there are moments where you sort of get, you sort of feel a little, a little too interesting, which sounds like a, like a weird problem to have, but when I say too interesting, I mean you feel kind of exotic, you, you start to feel like the Almost like the, the 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 foreigner, the foreigner, the token foreigner. Yeah, and I I remember, for example, like when I would go to family gatherings or when I go back to the U.S. and spend time with my U.S. relatives, and we'd go to a, a barbecue or some kind of gathering where there were people that I didn't know, and I'd always get introduced as like, oh, this is my niece from Singapore, and you know, all of a sudden it's like, ooh, Singapore, what's that like? And that's great, and I'm happy to speak about those things, and I. You know, I love, I do love sharing, being able to share these experiences with people. That's really cool. But there's a point where it's just tiring. You know, kind of after 15, 15 years of, you know, that being the, the most interesting thing about you, you kind of get tired of talking about it. It's like going on a lot of first dates. <laughs> and the first thing, you know, you, you go through the kind of list of the, the, the normal list of, conversation topics but then you want to move on to something else and like really get to know this person so it's kind of frustrating sometimes to be like yeah I have an interesting background interesting quote-unquote background that's really that's all an accident of fate the fact that I was born in one country with a dad from another country and a mom who's Korean and you know li living in France like that has nothing to do for example with me you know just being this wandering spirit that wants to, you know, get to know the world, which actually, weirdly enough, is one thing that sort of frustrates me about certain TCKs. I don't want to generalize about them all, and I and I don't even know why I'm using the phrase TCK, because I hate the term TCKs, because the only people who use TCKs are people who identify <laughs> as TCKs, <laughs> and it's kind of like this badge of honor. Okay, so, you know, you'll have a group of TCKs 
at a party and we'll all start talking and everybody will go through their backgrounds. And once you kind of get through like this mutual exchange of, oh, wow, oh my gosh, how cool, like you're, you know, kind of comparing notes on where you've grown up. Usually the next topic is complaints, but they're sort of, I don't know what the term is like backhanded complaints because they're, 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 no, they're, they're complaint, they're complaint, they're brag, they're complaint brags. Is there a word for that? I don't know. Yeah. Humble so they're, bragging? Yes, they're humble brags. It? Exactly. They're sort of humble brags. Um, complaints or brags disguised as complaints. So, for example, um, yeah, I mean, it's just so hard, like, growing up in all these places. I mean, you know, I switch languages all the time, and I, you know, it's, I'm just really confused. I mean, I speak so many languages, and um, sometimes it's it's just really hard to you know, to know where I'm from, and I, oh god, like, that just, that whole, that whole narrative, like, I get it, and I feel it, and it is a real, I get that it can be a really genuinely, um, difficult to not know where you're from, and blah blah blah, but listening to people talk about it is just so annoying, or people will, oh god, will post things on Facebook, every time there's an article about, like, um, about, uh, God, I remember once there was an article about the world's longest flights or something, and every single person, it seemed to me, that I went to high school with was just posting this on their wall with, like, oh, God, like, yeah, this is so annoying. Every time I want to go see my family, I have to take this 18-hour flight. Hashtag TCK life. And I was oh, like, no. oh, God, like, oh, stop it. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. People complain a lot about the the existential um, drama of being a TCK and how difficult it is to feel like you're from so many places and, like, do you ever really have a home? Like, <laughs> can you ever really connect to anyone? And but blah, do you blah. feel like you have a home and can you connect with anyone? Um, okay. Where's home? Yeah, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> so, no, it is true. Like, I get it. I get that it's... I get that it's true... Yeah, to answer your question, where's home? I want it to be Singapore because that's where I grew up and that's where I'm, that's what makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. It's easy, to, it's the easiest thing to explain. But now the fact that I can really never go back to Singapore um, kind of takes away, it sort of delegitimizes that answer. My parents moved, my parents left Singapore about a year and a half ago and moved to the Philippines. And uh, I, I'm a permanent resident or I was a permanent resident. Actually, this is a new development this week. Um, I, I had permanent residency, which basically means I have pretty much all the rights of a citizen. I just don't have a Singaporean passport because Singapore does not allow dual nationality. Oh. So I would have had to give up my U.S. passport, which yes. I'm not willing to do. Um, but I had permanent residency. However, once my parents left Singapore... I don't know. Apparently, there's 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 some they they don't want to keep their residency, but in order for them to be able to renounce it, I have to renounce mine, which I did not want to do. I wanted to hold on to that forever. Not even because I want to live there. I don't want to go back to Singapore. I have no plans to work there or live there long term. I was really bored in Singapore for most of my life. I really did not appreciate Singapore at all until I left. Um, but I wanted to hold on to my my little NRIC, which is the Singaporean Identity Card. 
almost just you know, like a symbolic purpose. It was like the last thing that was holding me to the country because otherwise like my parents are gone. There's no apartment there. We never lived in an, we never owned a place. You just pass from condo to condo. I lived in probably five different condos in Singapore over the course of my 15, 16 years there. Um, all my friends are gone too. Uh, I have a couple that are left. So basically the only thing I have left from Singapore are memories of my school, um, my favorite places to eat, <laughs> uh, the condos that I could drive past if ever I were to go back, but that I would no longer be allowed into or have the key to. Um, and I guess, I, yeah, I mean, yeah, I have friends that have houses there and maybe I could stay with them. Singapore, uh, Singapore is my home in theory, in my, in my heart, but I don't feel that I have any, any legitimacy being able to actually say that. So now I just, I should probably start saying I'm from the U.S. I don't say I'm from the U.S., although I should because that's the pa it's my, that's the, my only country of passport. It's where my accent comes from, so <clears throat> there's less of a kind of, um, Decadage, like a. Yeah, yeah. Decadage. You know what I mean? <laughs> Decadage. I don't know how to translate it. Yeah, I don't it. know how to translate <laughs> it either. God. It's like imbalance? No, it's not imbalance. Uh, it's like a disconnect. Yeah, d I guess, yeah, disconnect. disconnect between when I open my mouth and when I say that I'm American. People are like, okay, well, she sounds American, so that makes Americans are like universally. Yes. You can, you can be anything and be American. Exactly. So it makes more sense. But the only reason I avoid that question is because then inevitably. It, it procures the next question, which it's is... just like, why are you Asian? Okay. Well, not only that, but what state are you from? So I'm like, oh, well, okay. And then I'm like, well, I never really... And I don't want to say New York. Because, because you have to own New York. Well, here's the thing. Because like, you do. If, I was, if my dad was from... Okay, I don't want to hate on any specific states. <laughs> I don't want to call out any specific states. But if I was from a smaller, lesser appreciated state, um, I would probably just be like, you know... Idaho. <laughs> Let's just say it, Idaho. <laughs> but because it's New York, and New York carries so many yeah, there's so much expectations. mythos around it. Like if you say you're from New York, people expect you to be like super cool and know everything about Brooklyn. Like for example, like yes. when I say that to other people, they're like, "Oh, where are you from?" And I'm like, "Oh, Queens." And they're like, "Oh, that's cool." And then, and like if I were to say Brooklyn, then they'd be like, "Oh, awesome! I was just in Williamsburg this past summer." God forbid I ever cross an actual New Yorker and then you know and then they're like wait you're from what where did you live oh where school did you go to and because it's always like really <gasps> specific and have to endure the shame of of then being like well actually like my dad's from Long Island <laughs> which is probably the worst place that is you he, could be from is in he New from York Long Island? he's from Long Island we're so in my, Long Island my dad grew up in Freeport <laughs> um my dad grew up in Freeport uh, yeah, so, like, Long Island is, is, it's, he the, went far away from home. Well, yeah, I mean, and it's, it's awful, because, you know, no hate to Long Island either, but Long Island is really, it's the butt of all jokes. It's like, it's like, it's like, it's almost New Jersey, you know what I mean? Yeah. It, it's got the same feel. It's like New York in, in, adjacent. It's, it's not, it's, it's New York in geography but it's like new jersey in soul <laughs> in, yeah. spirit. in spirit so it's just so looked down upon so i never know i'm like should i say i'm from new york and then i'll so i'll say my dad is from new york 
and then they'll ask you where in New York is your dad from. Well, and actually, you actually, here's trap. the thing: when it's when it's non-Americans, I'll say my dad is from New York because they usually don't ask questions. To them, they're like, New York is New York is New York. Bottom line, that's it. Yeah, they don't get the difference. It's like a, a huge state, and yeah. there's like eight hours worth of driving to exactly. get to Canada. It's enormous. So when non-Americans ask what part of New York, what they really mean is like where in Manhattan <laughs> or or Williamsburg. Like what street in Williamsburg yeah. is are are you from? Um, whereas, so with Americans, I'll just say straight straight off the bat. I'm like, my dad's from Long Island, and it's horrible. It shouldn't feel like that's just. That's something that I need to admit. <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's this horrible, shameful thing. It's like, this is my city, and I also want it to be like that. So just oh, God, case. yes. <laughs> I don't know. I don't feel an emotional connection to French. So if I ever, for example, let's say I ended up marrying some some Jean-Pierre or Olivier, right? And we had a kid. Oh, my God, I would never, ever allow that child to grow up not speaking English. But I would need them to speak English because otherwise I think I just feel this disconnect yeah. from my own kids. I think my mom probably does feel like that. She says to me all the time, like, Danielle, we'll, we'll be having a conversation about something and I'll explain something that's going on. And I can sense that this frustration on her end where she's like, and she, all she'll say to me is, Danielle, you have to just trust me that I, I know what you're saying and I wish I had... More words. more words to be able to respond to it in the way that you need me to respond to it, but I just can't. But I just need you to trust that I I empathize, I feel you, I understand mm. everything you're saying. That I know what you're what you're going through. I understand. And if I had more words to be able to articulate it in English, then I would. But I can't. And you don't speak Korean, so. But I think there's a certain point where. When it comes down to like understanding someone. You probably don't need any of that. And I guess that's why I'm getting closer to my mom now, even though we live really far away and we never see each other. I haven't seen her in three years, actually. Um, not in person, anyway. But I think now that I understand the frustration of a second language, now mm. that I speak French all the time, it suddenly gave me this whole new perspective into what she must have gone through, trying to connect with me growing up and wondering, like, God, did she just feel so sad and frustrated not being able to communicate on an emotional level with her own daughter like what must that have felt like and that has almost given us this silent understanding that when we speak and when she says something to me like danielle you just have to trust me i get what you're going through even though i can't articulate it it no longer frustrates me because i just it i just have faith that yeah she does understand i get it it's sort of like the silent look across a room with someone that you're in love with where you don't have to say anything but you look across the room you look at each other in the eye and there's this this thing that flows between you where you just both know like you're my person you both I know you're exactly my person. you both know how you feel special thanks to danielle for coming down to my tiny apartment studio to have this chat and to you dear listeners for your feedback and comments these past few weeks Stay tuned for episode 5 where we talk about finding foods that remind you of home when you're living in another culture. This episode was produced by Lori Martinez for Serial Culture, now available on iTunes and SoundCloud. Serial Culture is part of Les Raconteuses, a multilingual podcast network dedicated to building cultural bridges through storytelling. You can find more information about us on our website, lesraconteuses.com, and on Facebook by searching Les Raconteuses. Thanks for listening.